Seabrook played it, took a shoulder from Perry. Meanwhile, it's lobbed along by Saad, and he goes in for his own pass. Jammed it around and up near Getzlaff. Tried to chip it further and kick back over to Kate. Side of the net, score! Saad! It's three to nothing! One of the very unique things about the sportscasters is sometimes, although we don't necessarily plan a vacation, we have a vacation. Sort of like if during school, when you were in the fifth grade, just like in the middle of February, the teacher came in and said, hey, you guys are off for the next three weeks. It's February break. Didn't happen then, but it happens here. And the nice thing about breaks in school, one of my favorite things is Don drops our new boss, <laughs> uh, was sharing with the class what I did over summer vacation. So, Don, what did you do over summer vacation? Wow, it's been a while. How long have we been out? We've been out about three and a half weeks, three four and weeks. Half weeks. Yeah. I don't think I've done all that much. Because it was mostly me. I was the reason we were off mostly. Right. Yeah, and uh, your new nephew. Yeah, that was the first week. Right. I had a nephew born. Right. I nicknamed him. And oh. it's taken off like wildfire, GD3. Okay. That was all me. So I'll be excited to tell him 20 years from now, and we're still calling him that. <laughs> I think it's funny when uh, someone will like hashtag that, like that might trend or something. I think it was trending <laughs> the day he was born oh, yeah. worldwide. Uh, I'm worried about his ambition. Already? Yeah, he was late. He was late. Uh, he was so late that they scheduled... Uh, Induction. Yes, is that what you would call it? Yep. Okay, so they, they scheduled that, and then it took three days. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> and then they did the, that. They had, and even then, they still had to do a C-section. Yeah. So they gave her, like, the world's most powerful birth-inducing drugs. Right. And he ignored them for three days and had to be cut <laughs> out of the, uh, of the womb. Uh, but uh, Gregory is here. He's a uh, very nice. He's a good little boy. He's uh, got baby acne right now. He's got that going for him. Yeah, a lot of babies get that. He can't walk or talk or really do anything. No, they don't It's do amazing for as advanced of a species as we are how useless the human baby is. I am always human amazed baby does nothing. that we survived. Because like, yeah. it makes sense that now that we're intelligent and have big brains and houses and cars and guns and whatever to protect ourselves, it's amazing like, that we made it from cavemen. Yeah, like how did they take care of human baby back then it comes up occasionally on the walking dead there's a baby on the show uh-huh. and i mean the walking dead's kind of primitive because all the zombies have taken over technology's kind of gone but like they'll be like hiding out and the baby will start crying or something like if you were like i don't know if like people were hunted by any animals or anything like that but as soon as the baby started crying yeah i'm reminded of this every time a new baby enters my life just how useless they are right like a deer will fall out or, like, be born and then be running, like, in an hour. Yeah, Gregory can't do a thing. <laughs> I mean, no. there is – you made a list of things he could do. It, it's, like, suck a nipple, Yep. sleep, cry, poop. That's about it. That's right, yep. Uh, then I think the next week I was at the Yale graduation. That's right. Uh, my brother Anthony, who you may have heard on the podcast, <laughs> uh, played hockey at Yale, uh, and – um. You know, for a group of seniors, let me say this about them. There are seven of them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
All seven graduated on time, which is pretty incredible for being D1 athletes at an Ivy League school uh, who had two very, very long springs in their tenure at Yale. Uh, you know, a national championship run, which means they're playing hockey almost right till exams. And then another run this year, their senior year, where they played into April or end of March. Um, but a great group. Uh, Joe Biden uh, spoke at the at see this Yale graduation. Mine was three hours. Theirs was three days. OK. <laughs> the first day they had like a, a church type service okay but no religion is involved in this at all it's like in something that used to be a church church. and they they have like all right we'll do a hindu prayer and then it's like as soon as that's over okay we're doing a jewish one now as soon as that one's all right here's another like they just have to do every cover all their bases kind of thing and uh there's no sign of like god in the church but it's a so they had that the first day then we had to go to the athletics uh banquet uh, which is really funny because this is an interesting thing about Yale. The guy gets up in front of the room, the the AD, mm-hmm. and he, he lists the accomplishments of the class of 2015, all of the Yale athletes. And almost all of the accomplishments were hockey team accomplishments. Okay. You know, he's like, we were the class of 2015 were national champions. They sold out Madison Square Garden. You know, they won – Ivy League champ, like almost all the things that the the hockey team did. Like if he didn't mention the hockey team's accomplishments, there would have been like three things <laughs> mentioned. Right. But they, the hockey team wins like no awards, you know, never mentioned uh, or anything. They don't quite get the respect that they should, considering the uh, the honor that they bring the university. I was especially especially annoyed that Andrew Miller wasn't the athlete of the year in 2013. Uh, there's no justification for anyone but him winning it that year. The year uh, they won the championship? Yeah, Andrew Miller was not. And he was a senior? He was a senior. He wow. was a first-team Ivy Leaguer. He was, you know. He'll get over it. And where, where is he, Edmonton? Yeah. Yeah. But um, So on the second day, which was class day, not commencement, is where they had their speaker. And it was uh, the vice president, Joe Biden. And I only bring it up because he spoke, you know, he gets teased for being kind of yuck. A yucker kind of yucks it up a bit. Okay. And they make fun of him for maybe touching girls too much. Yes, and okay. Make it I've off, seen that. Yeah. Right? And he played into that. Did he? Smartly. Okay. You know, he yucked it up and he joked around. But then he got really serious and he talked about the tragedies in his life. Uh, in 1972, when he was first elected senator of Delaware, his wife, around Christmas time, uh, had the, their three kids out in their station wagon, ran into a semi. She was killed and his daughter was killed. Ugh. Left just him and his two sons. And he spoke so beautifully about his sons, including his son, Bo, uh, who he mentioned was one of the most famous politicians in Delaware, a, a two or three time um, uh, attorney general of the state. Bo Biden. Bo Biden. And just days later, he passes away. Really? Died at age 46 of uh, brain cancer. You didn't know that? No. Man, you live under one hell of a rock, brother. brother. <laughs> I don't know what happens in your life when you leave this room. Now, that was everywhere uh, last, just this week, I think it was. Really? Yeah, he passed away. No, I had not heard that. I mean, to say it was everywhere. I think I think there was a guy who ran into your house at one point and announced <laughs> it in your living room. <laughs> um, so then we had that. Uh, what else did we do over vacation? I'm looking back at my calendar to see if I did anything. Yeah, did you do anything good? You went to a movie, right? I 
Uh, did I? Did I go to the Avengers? No, that was before. Oh, uh, did you see Mad Max? I haven't. I've heard it's good, like yeah, super I hear good. Like, raving about it. Yeah, like if you just want to go see it. But I know nothing movie. about it. Do you know enough to give us like a 60 second? I don't. I heard the original doesn't hold up either. Okay. So that this one is good. Uh, but so the they just resurrected an idea and killed it with it. I guess it's like nonstop. Like it's almost like tiring how action packed it is. Like huh. it's start to finish. But uh, I planted grass, I think was the biggest thing. I took out a pool last year. Yeah, you moved dirt. I moved like four tons of dirt Yeah, from the front yard to the backyard. Uh, that might be it. All right, then let's start the show. Yeah, let's let's do it. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. I thought of something else, actually. Somewhere in there, I don't remember what day. Maybe it was before this, even. But my mom got remarried again. That was, that was a thing. No that shit. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, it was a small thing. I mean, third wedding, what do you do? You right. Know? But it was fun. It was a good, it was a fun night. Huh. Congratulations, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I should have mentioned probably it's season five, episode sixteen. We're recording on June second. Steve Russian from Sports Illustrated wrote an unbelievable piece about the NHL overtime. It's going to be a playoff overtime. Yeah, it's going to be on the show to talk about that and the NHL finals. Some other things we'll cover with him. I haven't read it. I'll have to read that because I always wonder if. They're exciting to talk about, but I don't know that they're necessarily good for the game. And I imagine that's kind of the gist of his article. I think he pumps him up a bit. Does he? Yeah. Okay. Um, Tass Mellis, our boy. Yeah. Who told us, the way you say my name is ass, but with a T. T, right. <laughs> Tass Mellis from the Starters, uh, which has got to be one of the most successful podcasts of all time, right? I mean, it started about where we did, ended up on Grantland, and now airs daily on NBA TV. It's a wide fanfare. I know, right? Very similar to our growth. <laughs> exactly the same. Uh, Tass is going to be on the show to talk about the NBA Finals. We have been uh, desperately needing uh, to talk about the NBA playoffs. I've, I've heard it's great. I've watched. Well, okay, first thing. NHL, NBA playoffs. We'll start with the NBA. Nine days ago. Roughly, uh, the conference finals ended. The conference finals, not a good round. Uh, Golden State four one took care of. Geez, I can't even remember who they squashed. Houston, okay, uh, with Harden and Dwight Howard. Steph Curry killed it. Yeah, and it was almost so uneventful that the star of the series was his little daughter. Right at the post at the pressers, yeah. Right, uh, and in the East, LeBron James uh, and Cleveland swept. Uh, not the Bulls, Atlanta, uh, who was the top team for most of the year, but uh, admittedly didn't run into some injuries. Um, although you could say the same for Cleveland, who we thought Kevin Love would be a huge. Reason why they might win the finals. He's been out since the first round. He's not coming back. Uh, Kyrie Irving missed game three. And that series did come back for game four. Played limited minutes. But LeBron James, who 
some people say maybe it's a little dramatic when he can be hobbling around and okay. looks like he's got a knee injury, an ankle injury. I don't get into that, but he's been amazing. And uh, he's the reason six, why. Six straight championship for him? Six straight championship round, yeah. Wow, that's nuts. That, that, or maybe this is the fifth straight. How many did he win in Miami? Well, they lost one last yeah, year. Yeah, they were two and he was two and three at Miami. Okay, did he have one in Cleveland? Or no, two and two in Miami. Two and two, okay. And zero oh and one in Cleveland, but I don't know if it was, it was in the, the year row. before. Okay, okay, could be. Either way, it's a lot in a row. Five Either or way. six. Yeah, that's impressive. Everyone's probably screaming at the radio. You fucking idiots! It's yeah. this. Uh, but we get our basketball facts wrong occasionally, which will come into your one last thing later. <laughs> I got I, one for you. A user submitted. I've heard from uh, local radio here doesn't cover basketball much, uh, for obvious reasons. There's not a team here, but. They've said, as a hockey fan, watch the way Golden State plays. They said it's like watching a hockey team, the way they pass it around. They're a fun team. Steph Curry's as cool of a player as I've seen. Yeah, yeah, he's cool. I got to ask, how much of this do you think you'll watch? Oh, boy. If it's on, I'll watch it type of thing. Like It's not the type of thing I'll probably seek out, but if I'm sitting down... And, it, and they, what's cool about this, and they must have some sort of deal, like maybe it's unspoken or whatever, but it doesn't compete with hockey at all. Uh, they're all right. on opposite. Very lines. smart. Very smart. Right. Both, of Both them. leagues. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, especially the NHL, probably. I mean, it's a superstar driven league and it's as star driven a final as you can get. So if it's on and obviously it won't be a hockey night, so I, I might get to it. I wouldn't I, make any promises. I want to try to get into it. Yeah, I don't know that I'm going to watch 48 minutes of any of the games, but I want to try to get into it. Right, right. You know, I'll be there in the fourth quarters for sure, yep. if not the second halves, uh, trying to get into this series. Uh, for the second year in a row, uh, the dream of New York and Chicago uh, died in a Game 7 of one of the finals. The Rangers, uh, who could only have themselves to blame, uh, losing Game 5 and 7 at home without scoring a goal. Yeah. To the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were a preseason darling of many. Uh, many people picked them to be the top dog in the league this year. And they ran through the Eastern Conference beating three original six teams, only to be facing a fourth original six team right. in the finals. And the Blackhawks, who, you know, I was thinking about this before we went on. Someday, if uh, I have a kid or my nephew, let's say GD3, says to me, Uncle Steve, what was it about? Those Blackhawks teams that Kane and Taves led. And I'll say this. They were the hardest out I've maybe ever seen in hockey playoffs. I mean, you think about the Red Wings. Maybe last year who had them 3-1. Right. Couldn't finish them off. You know, the Ducks who played that series against the Blackhawks who played with four defensemen right. in a series that had a triple overtime game and a double overtime game and a third overtime game. Uh, you just can't kill them. They're just so scrappy and so tough, and the leadership is so good. I mean, they're down by two goals with less than two minutes left, and Jonathan Taves just, well, I'll just score two and let's play some overtime. They lost that game ultimately, but the point is, is when you have them down and you think you have them out, you just don't. And I think that's why I'm probably going to pick the Blackhawks over the Lightning in six games. I just think that the Blackhawks have way more experience at this level uh, than the Lightning do. And that's so cliche and boring sounding analysis <laughs> and maybe something that Mike Shope would rip on me about. But the Blackhawks pro prove over and over again the value of that cliche in, in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't have any advanced stats to give you for this. I picked 
this matchup, uh, one NHL of their bracket thing that fell yeah, out. Yeah, I had the Rangers. I had this. Um, Blackhawks Rangers. But I had Rangers I think I picked Lightning. Tampa to win. I don't have any overwhelming reasons for it. I picked a ton of goals in the series. You said Chicago, New York might have been the dream, maybe for the short term, but if you well, want to for, grow, what I mean is for the big market, for networks, TV. for TV, for right. ratings, that kind of thing. But I mean, obviously, I think, this is going to be a fun. Yeah, I think if you're right. the NHL, I'm not sure you could pick a more fun series. Than uh, this is the fan, quote unquote. Series. Yeah, I mean, you're you're hoping yeah. to see seven, eight, nine goals a night between the two teams. I mean, I mean you have stars. You have. Yeah. You know, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Steven Stamkos, Tyler Johnson, who's emerged as a star in these playoffs. You know, great yeah, defensemen yeah. like Duncan Keith, Victor maybe Hedman. a somewhat unknown in Hedman, yeah. uh, but obviously an emerging guy who, man, can he block a shot. Um, but, yeah, stars everywhere. Uh, maybe under the radar goalies in Bishop and Crawford. Uh, just a really interesting. Where interesting do the Rangers finals. go? What do, what do they do? Well, they need, a, they need another score. Yeah. Right? They play, uh, you know what? That was my thought with them coming into the playoffs. And they had a couple five goal games. I mean, they lost one of them, which is nuts. But Right, six to five. Uh, they to just play everybody five. too close. Like, yeah. And like, their big guys don't score enough goals. They rely and... a bit too much on Henrik. Yeah. Steve Nash, or Rick Nash, excuse me, has a lot of A rod in him. Yeah. Right? When he scores those playoff goals, it seems like, well, we didn't need that goal. And they're the most dangerous, it seems like. Uh, counterattacking. They've got some speed with guys like Haglin and uh, Kreider. Kreider. Yep. Stop but it. other than that, I mean, what do they have? Like 10 shots through two periods of yeah, they, Game 7? They laid an egg in Game 7. Yeah, and I mean, St. Louis is done. Yeah, There's that, nothing that, left that there. That looks like a... That deal looks okay maybe last year. It looks like a really bad deal now yeah. for the Rangers. Tampa Bay... Steve Eiserman is brilliant GM. Yeah, he's killing it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take the Cavs... Go off the board a little bit because I feel like rooting for Cleveland is rooting for Buffalo. Yeah. And I'm going to say LeBron will give it for the Cavs. For the Cavs. And I'm going to take the Hawks, like I said, in six. I'll take the Cavs in seven. I think we're going to have really good TV the next two weeks. Uh, every day at night watching these two series. Uh, star power and excitement in the in the NBA. And maybe the, the same in the NHL. Really just really good finals, and it's been a really good spring. Every round, someone had a great round. Like the NHL had a great first round. Love, the NBA yeah. was a clinker. NHL terrible second round. NBA amazing. Yep. You know, maybe the NBA not a great third round with the two. You know, a sweep and a fiver. Right. NHL two game sevens. Yeah, it was great. So we'll see who uh, gets the best of uh, of uh, the series here. But uh, I got the Hawks and the Cavs. What do you got? I guess I'll stick with Tampa Bay. Like I said, I didn't have a great reason for it, but I just like them. They're young and exciting. And uh, just based on what I've other analysis I've heard, I guess I'd go Golden State. But I will be pulling for Cleveland. All right. Saturday could end one of the longest droughts in sports as American Pharaoh has a chance to win the Triple Crown. But it probably won't, right? I mean, this is the way this goes. How Do you have the numbers in front of you? This has happened, I feel like, quite a bit in the last... However, I want to so say often. since, you know, the last one, I think 11 horses have had it, have won two, but one of the horses withdrew and didn't race the third oh, okay. because of the foot injury. Okay. I think I have that right. Okay. I could be off by one or two. Or whenever whatever, this happens, I mean, yeah. all the, all the horses pull out of the second race. So generally the favorite wins fairly easily and the other ones get that extra rest. And Here's then- what I was wondering about this. And I apologize if someone else has wondered it. 
I'm sure probably someone has. But there's kind of this perception that horse racing really needs a triple crown winner. Okay. I'm not so sure it does. I think it needs someone attempting to, to win a triple crown. Yeah. Because if someone, if it, let's say American Pharaoh wins, right. he wins a triple crown. Where does horse racing for go year? for there? Yeah. From there, I don't know. What is the next step from horse? How does horse racing monetize a triple crown winner? Because he's not racing next year. Yeah, there's no defending it. Wheaties box. I mean, that's. I think that the best thing for the horse racing and the triple crown is to have this unbelievable carrot just out in front yep. that nobody can ever quite grab. But having a horse every year, they're attempting it. I'm guessing they probably know that, too, because I remember, I can't remember the last horse that did this, that had two in a row. Maybe even been last year or two years ago or something. But I remember the owner kind of whining about those horses should have to race. In and he's right. he's he right. He is right. Yeah. But that's probably a reason they don't do that, because they don't want necessarily. Name another sporting event or another competition where you can lose the first one and say, ah, fuck it, I'll get you the third time around. Right. I mean, I guess... I guess the argument it's an individual sport, and it so hurts like golf. I Baltimore guess has got to be just yeah, they never get annoyed, any, right? right? Yeah, I mean, right. If if you're making it like a league type thing where you want the same horses racing each other and you want the triple crown winner to beat the best three times, then yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, golfers don't have to golf if they don't want to either. And you know what would happen if they made them? They would just say that. He's banged up. You right. Know, you, can't, you can't go. Can't go. He's got a bum leg. And don't say the NHL never did anything smart. They're going to start game one of the Stanley Cup Finals, not at 8 on Saturday, but at 7.15 or right after the end of the Triple Crown. So they get a nice lead in. So oh. there'll be a lot of eyeballs really? on NBC watching uh, this race. And it, when it ends, they'll probably do five, ten minutes post-game and bounce it over to NHL for game one. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, the NHL, I think, they like to compare themselves. I think they like to think of themselves in the league with like football and stuff, and like people will do and stuff obviously for they're us. not right. Yeah. And they're not. So I mean, be creative, do things like that. Yeah. Uh, third thing, we before we went on the air, we watched John Oliver uh, take down FIFA for the second time in like a year. Yeah. Because he did it uh, before the World Cup last year. He did. He took them down as well. Um, and the news came out today or yesterday uh, that Sep. Bladder, the president of FIFA, has resigned. Uh, thank God. After he just won the election. <laughs> yeah, after just uh, just winning the election. I think he said something along the lines of, when God God gives you a sign, it's time to go, you go. Or something. God sent that sign so God, via the FBI. <laughs> sign, uh, via FBI. Uh, really an interesting thing for the sport. One thing I would say is they might as well stop building shit in Qatar. Wow. Or yeah. Cutter, because there is no chance in hell that the 2022 World Cup is ever being played there. No chance. The yeah. dream is done. That 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 opportunity walked out the door with uh, Seth Blatter. Um, but I think I went on a rant about the NCAA a few weeks ago. And I said that they were the most crooked organization south of FIFA. <laughs> and uh, FIFA... Yeah, they're running away. Like when it's, it's south, it's, it's like south. Yeah, it's like uh, one is Canada and the other is Cuba. Right, right, right. It is not close. It's not a one A one B thing. No, not at all. And Saturday, speaking of FIFA, to go along with this a bit, uh, is the start of the Women's World Cup. 
Bad news for the USA. Alex Morgan is apparently not going to be ready right away. Although there is some hope that she will be a part of the team at some point. Obviously the best player on the team. Uh, U.S. hasn't won this in a bit. Uh, they won the Olympics um, recently. I think last time. Uh, they haven't won a World Cup in a bit. Uh, does this matter to you? Does the Women's World Cup being played in Canada, although not really in our part of Canada. It's mostly in Vancouver. I think uh, there's some matches in Montreal. but A little. I mean... You got a young daughter. You going to yeah, try to get her eyes on this at all? Sure. Uh, I mean, she won't care. Maybe she's she'll care maybe about it. too young know. yet for yeah. something like this to make an impact. It's not a knock on women when I say this, but uh, for a while, and like hockey has this problem. The U.S. and Canadian women are just too good. Like enough of the uh, other countries don't care enough about it. So of the women's sports, this is maybe the best. This is maybe the most competitive now that it seems like it's picked up in other countries. Like the U.S. won early and often, I think, because the U.S. maybe is one of the more progressive countries as far as having women's sports in the mainstream. But, uh, yeah, I like I like the Women's World Cup. You want to get some odds? You want to hear some odds for the FIFA World Cup? Sure. 2015 Women's uh, World Cup. The host country, Canada, has 10 to 1 odds. Oh, U.S. has got to be like 2 to 1. Then. U.S. Is, uh, has the best odds at 9 to 4. Okay, so it's like 2.5 to 1. Uh, next is Germany at four to one, Brazil at six to one, and then the th- Japan yeah. eight to one, and then Sweden, Canada, and France at ten to one. Some surprising ones: England twenty-five to one. You'd think that they would have a better program uh, than they do. Mm. Spain, which has been killing it in men's soccer for so long, right? They're at fifty to one shot. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with, and I'm not gonna speak too politically or socially but i think it has to do with women's roles in their countries maybe uh, well the worst odds in the tournament not to cut you off yeah are tied between cameroon and thailand what do you think the odds they win it are 200 to 1 500 to 1 500 to 1 wow yeah so they probably won't score a goal in the tournament some of those teams but yeah it's fun uh but like i said with softball that got taken out of the Olympics because it wasn't competitive. And, I mean, hockey is probably in danger of that if they don't get more competitive. This is competitive. so And it's uh, – the U.S. has – I mean, obviously they go out of their way to make stars out of people. And Abby Wambach's a fun – or was a fun star the last one. And uh, Morgan and – The first Women's World Cup was in 1991. The United States won the final 2-1 to over Norway. And Norway got the second one with a 2 to nothing win over Germany in 95. Uh, 99 was when we hosted it here. The famous... Brandy Chastain. Chastain. Yeah. Uh, went over China. Uh, since then, uh, the U.S. has not won. It's been Germany, Germany, and Japan. And that's good for it, I think. I, I think if you had a case where... We were talking earlier about the Triple Crown. I think if you had a case where the U.S. just won all of those, I think you, there would be very little interest in it. I mean, I could be wrong. The but... U.S. has finished no worse than third in this tournament. Yeah. So they have, you know... High expectations, but uh, obviously last time against Japan, it was a 2-2 game. They lost uh, 3-1 to in penalties uh, against Japan in 2011. I remember the match for sure. Um, so that will start Saturday, uh, and we will see. We watched a little bit of that John Oliver, like I said, and it's just so sad to see the second most expensive stadium in the world is now a parking lot for buses. It makes me wonder, like in Brazil, don't they have... 
soccer yeah, leagues? Yeah, I don't understand. Like, that, that was my thought watching that. Is is it too expensive to run the stadium, like to hire people to, to work there? How do they not use that? That sounds like a beautiful facility. It's crazy. All right. Well, that's it for three things. I don't know if this is breaking or not, but real yeah. quick, Goodell apparently, since we didn't have any NFL, we better cram some in. Goodell will hear Brady's appeal himself. So Yeah, Peterson reported to OTAs. That's yeah. borderline shocking to me. I yeah. guess what choice did he have? But He uh, had none. No leverage. Right. And, the, and got no support in his rah-rah, let's get our contracts guaranteed thing he tried on Twitter. Yeah. No one else was with him. He's Even gonna, though he's probably right. He's going to – sure. Of course yeah. their contract should be guaranteed there and all the other sports. Right. He, that's why the, he, when you hear about like a defensive tackle making $200 million. You just laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. Until they until they cut you. Just like we laugh about Cam Newton apparently signing a $103.8 million extension. Right. Never going to yeah, see he'll get that million until they don't want to give it to him anymore. All right. So there's a few football things thrown in. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with uh, Steve Russian from Sports Illustrated. Then we're going to do a book club. we got two new books for book club. Don and I will talk about those. Tass Mellis will join us to talk more about the NBA Finals. And then we'll get out of here with one last thing. Our next guest is from Bloomington, Minnesota, and is a graduate of Marquette. Just a few weeks out of college, he joined the staff at Sports Illustrated, where he's worked on and off for years. Uh, He's an author of a few books. He's contributed to Time Magazine, Golf Digest. He's making a second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Steve Russian. How's it going today, Steve? Going great. How I, I love the uh, ring out a Hoya for an MU rah rah introduction there. <laughs> people usually it's like your B side to most fight song records. Yeah, people yeah. U- usually like to uh, hear their fight song. We find it to be a, a welcoming, uh, a welcoming treat for our guests. They enjoy that. Um, I, I have to tell this story real quick. I mentioned it's your second time, and your first time was in 2011, and. It's not that I had forgotten about you or didn't think that you were a worthy guest in center or anything, and, and I did reach out uh, one time, and I just wanted to, or a few times, I think, and we just haven't hooked up. And this one time, you were so nice. You were, I, I reached out. You had written the, uh, was it the 50th anniversary article in Sports Illustrated? Was I did the 40th and four- the 60th, most recently the 60th. So. Okay, 60th. Jeez. So many, uh, I couldn't remember which anniversary it was, but it was so good. I think it was maybe the longest uh article they may have ever printed too so good and i reached out and you were like oh i, I would i'd be glad to come on and we're, we're we're talking about times and it turns out that you were on vacation with your family and i had to say you know that's so nice of you to agree to come on but i wouldn't feel right about taking time away from your family and then i was waiting for the next time and i just loved this uh, article that you wrote about overtime in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I figured with the Stanley Cup starting tonight, 
this would be uh, the perfect time to catch up. And I was I was thinking about this last night when I, I was putting the interview together. I noticed that you were from Minnesota um, a couple weekends ago. Yeah, a couple weekends ago, I was at my brother's uh, graduation. He graduated from Yale, uh, where he played hockey, and I was talking to a couple of kids over the weekend who grew up in Minnesota, and for whatever reason, I thought to ask them about their experience with Minnesota high school hockey. Did you have any experience with Minnesota high school hockey? What was, uh, what was, did you ever, did you play, did you, when you went to high school, did your, did your school team ever make the state tournament, uh? Such a unique thing, high school hockey in Minnesota. What do you remember about your time growing up in Minnesota? Well, I grew up in Bloomington, which is uh, where the North Stars played at the Met Center when I was a kid. And um, we had three high schools. And uh, at various points, all three high schools were great. And my oldest brother, Jim, played at Bloomington Lincoln, went on to play for Providence, for Lou Lamarillo at Providence, uh, before Lamarillo went to the Devils. And I played in the Frozen Four his senior year. And uh, that was a long time ago, 1983. And of course, Providence went back this year and won. Yeah, and won it. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was uh, it was huge for Providence. My brother loved it. Uh, he wasn't able to go. His daughter was going to be playing lacrosse at Harvard in the fall as a freshman. Um, had a tournament in Washington, but uh, but he loved it. Everybody associated with with all of his buddies loved it. Then uh, my youngest brother played at Bloomington Kennedy, where I played basketball. Lincoln had closed uh, by the time we got to high school, and he was drafted by the Rangers uh, out of high school. Ended up playing uh, a hockey scholarship at Notre Dame. So high school hockey was huge in Minnesota. Still is the hockey hair. The, the uh, I mean, it's the whole culture is uh, growing up with hockey moms and 5 a.m. rank times and all that. Uh, I had by sixth grade, I had had enough of. Uh, standing in a snowbank waiting for my shift <laughs> as a terrible hockey player, and I uh, started to play basketball. But you know, going to the state tournament as a kid, um, you know, it's it, it still I, I still I still uh, get into the Minnesota State Hockey Tournament. Yeah, I mean, you wrote about you know I the thing I love the most about the article that you wrote for Sports Illustrated a few weeks ago about overtime in the Stanley Cup playoffs is I thought you brought a sort of poetry to it. You made the just the event uh, seem poetic, uh, which it can be in so many different ways. It can be, you know, I don't want to be corny or anything, but it can be beautiful. It can be heartbreaking. It can be so many different emotions, and I thought you brought that poetry to it. And all at the same time, and I, I tried to uh, hang it largely on the voice of, of Doc Emmerich, who's really the poet of, of right. overtime hockey. And, you know, I asked him if he had any special rituals as games get close to overtime and in fact a staffer at NBC Sports uh, prepares for Doc a peanut butter sandwich as the game uh, in a tie game late in the third period so that he has enough energy to get him through overtime now you would think that calling a hockey overtime at lightning fast speed as a broadcaster Peanut butter would be the worst possible thing for you, but that's that's if you ever see an an overtime, perhaps in this coming uh, Stanley Cup Finals, just know that Doc has just consumed a peanut butter sandwich, and it makes the degree of difficulty of what he's doing all the more outrageous. Because uh, as Al Michaels said to me in the piece, he Al Michaels has never heard a more technically perfect announcer in any sport than Doc Emmerich, and 
when people have asked him, Al Michaels, why doesn't he call Olympic hockey anymore? He has the greatest call in American sports. Do you believe in miracles with a 1980 U.S. team? Uh, Al responds, because if I called it, I wouldn't get to listen to Mike Emmerich calling it, and he can do it 20 times better than I can. So he was the real poet of, of hockey in that piece. Yeah, and Mike Emmerich, I thought, you know, when you talk about Olympic hockey, I, I, it hasn't been that long, 2010, since Doc Emmerich called a gold medal overtime final uh, between U.S. and Canada. Obviously, Sidney Crosby calling, uh, scoring the overtime goal on a pass from McGinla. And Parisi, Zach Parisi, scoring uh, in the last minute of that game to tie it for the U.S. Really, it was a great tournament in 2010. It really is. And, and you know, Pierre Maguire told me about that gold medal game that, um, you know, when, when Crosby scored the goal, he, you know, 20, a few seconds later, by custom, TV custom, he's over there doing the very calm, collected, blase interview with Pierre that these guys somehow always at the end of over, they score the game winner. You know, they've got three teeth missing and they're bleeding, <laughs> sweating out eight pounds. But there they are talking to Pierre as if they're sitting at the at the negotiation table at some diplomatic conference. And, and Pierre said after Crosby scored that gold medal winning goal, you know, he, Pierre, was thinking 25 million Canadians are going crazy right now watching this. And uh, and Crosby just skated over to Pierre and said, isn't this great? And not, not aren't I great, but, you know, isn't this what playing the sport is all about and uh he had an appreciation that uh as it was happening that you know this is one of the great moments of his life and there was so much pressure on a guy like Sidney Crosby in a tournament like that too uh yeah i mean it, it's it's a beautiful thing about overtime is there's so much riding on every play every possession every lost possession uh teams can dominate and then a fluke goal can beat them not a fluke goal, just an unlucky goal on on the, the part of the team defending. And, uh, you know, uh, Bill Clement, the announcer who called the, the Easter epic, the great quadruple overtime 1987 game between the Islanders and the, and the Capitals uh, with Doc Emmerich right. on ESPN back then, uh, you know, said to me, he, he, of course, played for the Flyers and the Flames for years in many overtime games, and he said, unlike so many other things in sports, certain losses, certain uh, bad breaks. In hockey overtime, when you've played a long multiple overtime game, there is zero positive takeaway from a long overtime loss. There is absolutely nothing to rationalize that you benefited from. It. Players are exhausted, they're depleted, um, they have to recover, and they've lost. And, uh, you know, uh, that's just the high stakes nature of the thing, and of course, in the Stanley Cup Finals now, it gets even it gets even higher. It's at the point where these guys should be the most exhausted. They have to be at their sharpest, and the stakes are at their highest. So that's why it's really cool to to be watching this week. You know, I got a really interesting perspective into hockey overtime uh, in the last six or seven years, as my younger brother got to play a higher and higher level of hockey than I ever dreamed of playing, even being a, a pretty decent uh, minor hockey league player myself. Um, kind of peaking at, 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 at basically first year junior, and then I went on to college. But my younger brother has played in, you know, overtime games in the USHL, including this one this one night. It's kind of a cool story. I'll share with you real quick. It's 2010. I was getting ready to have uh, surgery on a Monday. 
nothing too serious, sort of minor. I've had six surgeries in varying severity over the last 10 years. This was a more minor one, but on Sunday, my brother had a USHL game in Sioux Falls, and before, hours before the game, I talked to him and, and said, you know, uh, good luck tonight, and uh, I'll talk to you, to, you know, after surgery tomorrow. I said, uh, you know, do something cool for me tonight, and the game went to overtime, and he scored an overtime winner, probably, I think, the only one really at that level of his career. Um, and it was so cool, and then as he got to college, his sophomore year at Yale, they won two NCAA tournament games in overtime on the way uh, to winning the, the national championship. And then this year, uh, my brother broke his leg in November and uh, worked his way back as a senior to play uh, game two of the second round of the ECAC playoffs against Harvard in Yale. And they won that game and went on to a game, forced a game three against Harvard, which went to double overtime. It was really an epic, uh, classic Harvard-Yale battle. And, and this year, the Harvard-Yale uh, football, Harvard won in the last uh, second. Basketball, uh, they won in the last second in a Ivy League playoff for a chance to the tournament. And then that night, um, Harvard got a double overtime winner, which all of the Yale players thought ended their season. They did make the tournament. And lose another overtime game to BU a few weeks later. But remember talking, I, I talked to my brother just this last week about have you had a chance to look back at that game yet a- and realize that despite how much it hurt, uh, does it feel good to have played in really an epic all time Yale Harvard hockey game? And he said to me, No, I haven't thought about that game for one second since, and I don't know when I'll be ready to. And I sort of realized that, wow, you know. Whew. It's great to be on the other side of those, but man, those hurt when when you're on the opposite side. Yeah, it, it, it's really the case. Um, you know, the classic example, probably the most famous photograph in hockey, Bobby Orr in midair scoring the uh, overtime game winner against the Blues to win the Stanley Cup in 1970, and and Orr even as he's been tripped and is horizontal to the ground, five feet off the ground, is is in triumph, and Glenn Hall, the Blues future Hall of Fame goalie at that point is, you know, falling to the ice in despair. And, and you know, there's, 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 there are no in-betweens uh, when you get to hockey overtime uh, in the playoffs, particularly in the championship like that. Um, and, you know, and sometimes it's Bobby Orr. Sometimes it's Alec Martinez of, of uh, Kings winning it last year in overtime, winning the Stanley Cup. You know, but it's like hitting a walk-off home run to win the World Series. It doesn't happen very often. It hardly ever happens. Um, but when it does, it's it's the best thing that can happen for a player and three feet away from him is the worst thing that can happen for for the other guy yeah just a few weeks ago and you wrote about this goal in the article uh the step-on goal in game seven against washington for the rangers to advance to the next round uh that night the uh the guy who designs the front page of the washington i think it's the washington post right is that right Sure. Yeah, the guy who designs the front page of the Washington Post actually did a Periscope. I don't know if you've heard of this app. It's kind of like a live streaming app. Yep, sure. yep. Yeah, and he used it to show, I guess, anyone who was interested how he was designing the front page of the sport, the uh, the sports front page that night. And uh, it was an interesting night in DC sports because the Wizards had also lost a pretty tough game, I think, to the Hawks. They were playing that round. Right. Uh, and so they had those two losses, and there was a Diamondbacks game as well, I think. Or not Diamondbacks, Nationals. had beat the Diamondbacks, I think. 
But it was so interesting watching him go through the pictures he had from that night and kind of trying to decide what would fit on the sports page. It was a really interesting look into uh, into the way these things are designed. And he went with this picture of Brandon Holpe uh, kind of just flat on his back after the goal had went in. And he, the only thing in the picture is Brandon Holpe, the net, and the puck kind of behind him. And it was just such a poignant picture. It was really interesting uh, to see how he, how they set that up. But just another example of... Uh, you had written in your article about about Stepan and and uh, some of the reactions to it. Uh, I wanted to ask you what you thought of Kenny Albert um, this spring, who has called triple overtime game in Anaheim, and then called Rangers the next night on radio. Uh, just an amazing spring he's had, going back and forth, doing all the things. I know Kenny wasn't in the article, uh, but you did talk to some other announcers. What do you think about Kenny's well, spring? You know, it's I could have I could have written twenty thousand words. On yeah. It. Um, you know, the announcers in particular they they have such a difficult job. Um, first of all, the auctioneer pace of the whole thing. I mean, there was that great uh, Kings Hawks Blackhawks game last year in overtime where they went nearly eight minutes without a whistle, without a stoppage in play, and you know. Emmerich, for one, is famous for never using the same verb twice. You know, he's he's uh, uh, feathered the puck in there. He's pitchforked the puck in there. And, and I asked him, "Are you constantly having to kind of think of what have I used, what have I not used?" And you know, he says, "No, you just have to say what what comes naturally to you." But um, but at the same time, when it's when it's end to end for eight minutes like that, and that's a rarity, but it can go on for three or four minutes. Often, uh, you know, it doesn't often even give you time for a, a, a color analyst to jump in and, and kind of help you carry the load. And you know, one of the things Al Michaels said about Doc and and Kenny and all these guys who do it so well that uh, it's the closest thing on television to a radio broadcast because so much action has to be described, even though the viewer is, is watching it. You don't always know who is who. You don't always, can't even always follow the puck watching on TV. And, uh, you know, usually the rule on TV is you know, less is more. But in the case of calling these hockey games, often more more is more. And, um, and so you kind of have to call a, a TV game on the radio. And, and it's just one of the unique things about, about the hockey broadcast. Uh, you know, when we were talking about no positive thing comes from a, a long overtime loss, and uh, I was thinking of, of uh, Bill Clement saying to me, from a player's perspective, when they're in the in the dressing room between the overtime periods, he says, you know, sometimes coaches say stuff, sometimes they don't. Usually it's quiet, but he said, honestly, what is a coach possibly going to say between the third and fourth overtimes <laughs> of the game? You know, these are the six things I want you to concentrate on now in the, in this fourth overtime. So, while these broadcasters have to be talking, talking, and talking a mile a minute uh, in the locker rooms between these periods, it's often a library silence that that ensues, and it's it's really just guys eating, hydrating, and. Uh, and wanting to go out there and just sort of perform on, on muscle memory because a lot of that is just uh, is just reflex at that point. Uh, for the broadcasters, of course, it can't be. They've got. Uh, 
I don't want to say they have the hardest job out there. Nobody's hitting them, and they're sitting down eating a peanut butter sandwich. But uh, they have a very difficult job, and I, and I respect it. You know, starting tonight with Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals, we're going to be going pretty much every every night here with an NBA or an NHL Finals game followed by an NBA Finals game and going back and forth and like that for a few weeks. Uh, you looking forward to anything specific about these two series? You going to watch one more or less than the other? Um, where do you stand in terms of these two I'm series? I'm really looking forward to uh, to both. Um, you know, I think the NBA Finals will be fascinating. Um, I haven't gotten to see Golden State as much as probably most people who pay closer attention to the NBA have. And um, but they're what I've seen, they're so much fun to watch. And you would like them in most series, but. They're up against LeBron, and I just think uh, I, I, I just I wouldn't want to be in the business of, of underestimating LeBron. So I think that'll be a great series. Um, and you know, I was kind of in the back of my mind thinking there'd be a Rangers Blackhawks original six Stanley Cup Finals, but uh, Tampa Bay was just the clearly superior team, and and so I think that'll be a great Finals. My only regret is that these things do go night after night after night with all the time off that they had in between, particularly for the NBA. Right. I wish the NHL played their finals earlier, uh, only because, you know, if it goes to seven games, it's, I think it ends on June 17th, and basketball somehow is a little more, a little less out of place on June 17th than, uh, than hockey is, even if that hockey is in Tampa Bay. It just seems... Uh, it seems like they could push it back earlier and not have these two things overlapping. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. odd for sure. Uh, my, I think it was uh, May May twenty fifth. I I was looking at something and it was it was like this day in nineteen ninety one, Mario Lemieux won his first Stanley Cup. Thinking, yeah, that's when this should end. May twenty fifth. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, June seventeenth. That's that's too late. It's not like they play that many more games than they did and in 1991, maybe two more in the regular season. I don't think it's... Right, and, and you know, it, and, and everything gets pushed back later, and, and, you know, the week or whatever it is that will end up having been off uh, for the NBA Finals, before the NBA Finals, is too long. The NBA goes on too long as well. Uh, in the NBA's defense, I think they can afford to push it a little later just because they're the more popular sport. And, um, you know, I think the NHL suffers from kind of competing for attention with the NBA when they're both going... Uh, at the same time, they also suffer from who who is thinking about hockey in late June. Uh, so, you know, it, but that's the way that's the way everything is going. My six-year-old son can't wait for uh, the NBA Finals to start so he can see LeBron. But you know what? He can't see LeBron. He can see LeBron on the replay the next day, or if I record the game. But you know, the game's going to start so late that he's not going to be able to watch it. So, um, you know, later in the season, later in the evening. It's you know it's it's in the hands of television schedulers and uh, that's not going to change. Finishing up here with Steve Russian from Sports Illustrated. He's at Steve R U S H I N on Twitter. You can also go to his website www.steverushin.com. Uh, check out his article. It's the uh, sometimes I, I want to tell who's on the cover, but I know it's not the same everywhere. But I think I had the Golden State Warriors on my cover. Uh, in the issue that features his article. Um, yeah, I have Steph Curry on my cover as well. Yeah, it's Steph Curry, for I sure. <laughs> I think there was a few, though. The, 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 do you ever look at the uh, SI on the iPad? Sure, 
Yeah, it's so beautiful on there. The pictures look so great, and what I like about it is all the covers. You can see all the covers. Yeah, there's, and there's some there's some additional things that aren't in the magazine. Um, and, and really, yeah, you're right. The pictures are super sharp, and uh, you know, the illustrated part of Sports Illustrated is is uh, you know one of the best things that the magazine has always had going for it. And um, you know, as a writer, I always in awe of what those guys do and um and they've had some really beautiful covers lately too uh, lebron uh last week uh on the my town my team covers uh at the ronda rousey one as well sweet yeah yeah. Um, yeah i wish i could tell you who the photographer was um but th- those guys do phenomenal work i'll let you go in a second but i want to ask you real quick before i let you go you kind of talked a little bit about a lot about your piece on the NH on the NHL overtime and and I mentioned how much I loved your piece that you did for I think we established the sixtieth anniversary of Sports Illustrated. Which is crazy because I remember going in to the grocery store one day as a kid and, and begging my dad to buy me must have been the thirty fifth anniversary issue right. with Muhammad Ali on the cover. Is that right? You know what? Yeah, in fact that's when I started working at the magazine and uh so I did some kind of fact checking and research for the thirty fifth yeah, that was and wrote a great. long story for the fortieth. Now it's the sixtieth, and I'm thinking, if if I'm somehow around for the eightieth, <laughs> the seventy fifth, or whatever the next big one is, find somebody else to do it somehow. <laughs> well, you know they put out a good magazine, and we're talking about something you wrote for the sixtieth, and I'm just thinking back to how much I loved reading that thirty fifth. I mean, I must have had that for months, like in my backpack, going to school. And it was one of those great covers where Muhammad Ali is on the cover, reading the cover of the magazine that he's on the cover of, and so on and so on, into infinity. I always loved those covers as a kid, where, you know, you would see the guy holding the thing that he's on the cover of, holding the thing that he's on the cover of, and so on and so on. (laughs) What I wanted to ask you, though, is you're in such a cool spot where... You're not tied to a beat necessarily. You're not like a Lee Jenkins who's always looking for an NBA story uh, per se or even John Wertheim uh, who does do some other things but his main beat might be tennis or uh, whatever. But uh, what uh, what moves you to write? What what, are, what, what do you look for? Um, is, it, is it just talking to an editor and, and taking an assignment or is it the opposite way where you're presenting something? Like how do you how do you decide on something? What What moves you to the to the keyboard or to the work? Well, sometimes they come to me with an idea and sometimes I go to them with an idea, but what I think produces the best stories, uh, I can speak personally, and it may not work for everybody, but I think it would work for most, is what interests me. And I can't tell you on a daily basis, you know, I can't tell you tomorrow necessarily what is going to interest me. Yeah, there are certain things that, that I love that, you know, probably people like less than than I do. I love, you know, English Premier League soccer and have for 25 years. Um, you know, popular now wasn't for most of that time. I love to travel to weird places, you know, Antarctica, uh, the Arctic Circle, and finding, you know, to write about people. But, uh, you know, for Sports Illustrated, the weekly magazine, especially now when you have a minute-by-minute news cycle, the, the, the biggest challenge and the most fun part of the job for me is finding angles or stories or just ways into familiar stories that haven't been done to death. And whether it's a weekly column, you know, um, finding stories or, or um, takes on stories that aren't, haven't been done to death. Because we know now if the New England Patriots underinflate footballs, 
well, you're going to have 10,000 views on that, viewpoints on that, in the first half hour after the story breaks. So, um, you know, really, it can be anything. So I went to Las Vegas for a week for Mayweather Pacquiao, and, you know, I ended up at Sonny Liston's grave, right under the flight path of all the private jets that were coming in for Mayweather Pacquiao, who had no in- idea or interest in who Sonny Liston was, or I ended up at Caesar's Palace, where there's a statue of Joe Lewis, who died at a, at a heavyweight title bout there, and, and had his funeral in a ring at Caesar's Palace, where Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. officiated at the funeral. Hmm. So just kind of finding... Uh, things on the periphery of these big stories also as a way into uh, covering what everybody else is covering, but hopefully in a different way. And, um, you know, that's all I ever look for in a story is something that's, you know, maybe takes a slight left turn when people by necessity have to, you know, take the story straight on. Um, But beyond that, you know, specifically, it could be anything. I would enjoy writing about any sport because there are people involved in the sport and, you know, really ultimately you're just writing about people. Well, you can find a lot of this work on uh, SI.com. Uh, you have a page there, and uh, I believe the uh, Overtime story is up there now. Um, and you can go to your website, www.steveRUSHIN.com, and it's also on Twitter, at SteveRUSHIN. Anything else you wanted to mention to the listeners? Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm, I think I'm all plugged out, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, it's been a while, but it was worth the wait. Thank you so much, and uh, look forward to reading about whatever you may write about the Arctic Circle or anything else, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime a little bit sooner than uh, four years later. Thanks, Steve. Call me for the 75th anniversary. <laughs> Sounds good. See ya. See ya. All right, I want to thank Steve Russian for being on the podcast today. Good to have him on. Talk a little bit about hockey with uh, Mr. Rebecca Lobo. Oh, okay. Uh, Book club, book of the month. Two new books. One sort of new. An old friend, but a new friend. Let's start with the brand new. The Game, Inside the Secret World of Major League Baseball's Power Brokers by John Pessa. I got this in the mail, and I looked at it, and I said, oh, Don's reading this one. (laughs) It's a big (laughs) book. Look at the size of this book. It's like the Bible. Uh, 20 years ago, baseball risked self-destruction. Today, it's a multi-billion dollar business. Three men made it so. Hundreds of interviews. Five years in the making. John Pessa's The Game is the book on baseball. That was good, right? Yeah. We should do commercials. Uh, John was a founding editor of ESPN the magazine. Nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Managed the sports departments for Newsday. And the Hartford Courant, and edited, wrote, and ran the investigative team for ESPN the magazine. You can follow him on Twitter at John Pessa, P E S S A H, or JohnPessa.com. So, I got some work to do before this interview, because this book is. A lot of its index, at least. That's something. Holy hell, a lot of sources. Yeah. Oh, we might have just shaved 50 pages off the book. <laughs> Uh, the book itself is 592 pages. Wow. It's not exactly a big font either. I'm still – something about Rebecca, like hearing that name brings me back to high – like that was like the 90s, like the flashback to me. I think of like uh, – Yeah, a really interesting story illustrated how they met too. And... He made like a wisecrack about the WNBA and she called him out on it. 
Really? Good for her. Told him to cover a game. He went down there and they're married and have four children live in Connecticut now. Wow. So if you want to marry a WNBA player. <laughs> Wise crack. Yeah, pick on her. Sport. Uh, the other book club book of the month is one of our all-time favorite uh, book club books of the month that we've done. It's in paperback, and a lot of times we'll do this. Uh, we'll do the hardcover. We'll love it so much. We'll like the author so much that when the paperback comes out, we're compelled to promote it more and to encourage you guys to read it more. It's a book called Console Wars, Sega, Nintendo, and the Battle That Defined a Generation. It's by a really great guy named Blake J. Harris, uh, who has been great to the podcast. They're sending us a few copies of the paperback, and we already have a hardcover, so we want to give these uh, paperbacks away uh, to people to have a chance to read them. So we're definitely going to run a contest with him. Uh, Blake's going to be on probably next week or the week after to talk about the book. Uh, John, of course, will be on as well. Uh, Don, this we joke a lot about you being the one who reads the books. Yes. I think everyone knows that's a joke. I read the books. Right. But you did read Console Wars. I read, yes. So tell us, since it was the one time you thought, I want to read that, <laughs> uh, give, us, give us 60 seconds about why you wanted to read it, and when you did, what you liked about it. It's been a while since I read it, but... Because, uh, yeah, it was probably last year when we featured the book. Right. And I, I, so the name of the main player in the book escapes me, but it was cool to hear that this guy just bounced from company to company, and uh, he he worked for like Mattel or Barbie or somebody like that before getting the big Sega guy. But yeah, before he got yeah. picked up by Sega, he worked for a, I believe Atari before that. Yep. So it was cool to hear, and he had like a like a like a vision, and uh, the guy from Sega actually came and swooped him up like on his honeymoon or something, or some sort of family vacation. So that was cool to hear about uh, anyone that's like a fan that grew up with that. Yeah, if you played Era. video games or yeah. played video games, you're yeah, gonna you, love you'd this enjoy book. it. You'd yeah. enjoy it. So, Console Wars, which is also going to be a documentary. Okay, I was going to ask that, but I wasn't sure if that was one of them there's, off mic. No, we yeah, they're still about. working on that, and Blake will, I'm sure, give us an update when we have him in. Yeah, that'll be sweet. Um, so, a lot of exciting stuff with the book club. The game Inside the Secret World of Major League Baseball's Power Brokers by John Pessa, and Console Wars, Sega, Nintendo, and the Battle that Defined a Generation by Blake J. Harris. We're going to take a break and come back with Tass Mellis. Our next guest is from Toronto, Ontario. He is the co-founder and co-host of the Basketball Jones podcast, blog, and TV show that originally appeared on the Score Television Network. Then it made its way to Grantland before blowing up even beyond Grantland and is now on the NBA Network every day under the name The Starters. I was actually at my brother's graduation in Yale and we were eating dinner after one of the many events that makes up a Yale graduation. And uh, the only thing in the entire bar and all the TVs was The Starters. Uh, And uh, he's making his sixth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Tass Mellis. What's going on, Tass? That will be the closest I get to an Ivy League education. <laughs> same, uh, I appreciate same for being me. there. Yeah, same for me. No, it's weird. It's like we were, I don't know where we were, some bar near New Haven or whatever, and just looking around, and there's 30 TVs in there, and you were on every one of them. Cool. Wow. Yeah. 
Sorry to hear that, but cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we were talking before. It's been a bit. I don't know why it's been a bit. Um, uh, but it's good to have you back. And I want to get a bunch. I, I want to get a. I got a bunch of things I want to ask you because it's been a bit. But um, you know, as the, the playoffs have been going on this spring, I kind of always watch the NBA and the NHL playoffs. Uh, and I always try to take a step back at some point and just look like who's having a better playoffs, uh, who's kind of whose league is really benefiting. And not even in a head-to-head way, but just like how are these playoffs working for these leagues? And I thought in the first round, uh, the NHL had a great round, and the NBA the first round is kind of dull. A lot of times during the first round of the NBA, I, I wish we had the five-game series back. I know that's never going to happen though. Uh, obviously, Game Seven of uh, Spurs and Clippers and then Mayweather-Pacquiao was an amazing basketball game. It was a great undercard to what was a terrible main event, obviously that night. Uh, and then I thought the second round of the NBA playoffs was was amazing, and maybe not so much for the NBA. And then in the NH- and in the third round, we had two Game Sevens in the NHL and two shorter series in the NBA. But ultimately, what we've got now is a final that is loaded with star power and um, uh, maybe not the biggest markets, but still these teams work for the league, I think, a lot. I'm sure they're very happy with the matchup. But what did you think about this spring and kind of a a big view of how the league and what it's meant to the league, how it's worked for the league, that kind of a thing? Yeah, I'd like to do the same thing during the playoffs. So it's tough, you know, doing a daily show and doing six shows a week uh, to sort of uh, zoom out and take a bigger picture of the NBA landscape. Um, but but I do like doing the same thing because you know I am I like to think that I'm an ambassador for the game in, in a way, and uh, you know I, I generally love the game. So um, I just want it to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And and I hear you about the the five game uh, format in the first round. I think. We're on uh, a heck of a path to have a great first round uh, with seven round series, um, but injuries, uh, injuries number one, and the the, the play, uh, playoff structure and, and format not not so much the seven games, but the way we've got divisions awarding teams uh, for no reason, um, and uh, that kind of hurt the Western Conference playoff picture. Like we shouldn't have had Spurs Clippers in the first round. Um, you know, it should have been, uh, it should have basically been Spurs Blazers, uh, and, uh, you know, the Clippers would have had a much easier series as well. Um, so that kind of changed things a little bit and, and injuries changed things so much. You know, the, the eight teams in the, in the Western conference, should, we should have had four great series. Um, so yeah, Spurs and Clippers were def- was definitely the best, but if, if, if Wesley Matthews is healthy, if Chandler Parsons is healthy, if Mike Conley is healthy, uh, you know, it's all sort of a different different landscape. Um, and, and you know, I, I think I'm not too worried about 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 that. But we got to change. Um, we, me being the NBA, because yeah. that's who I am. I, I right. believe NBA. Um, we have to change just. You can't you can't award the Blazers and put them in the four spot just because they won a division, but they won you know less games than the the six seeded Spurs. They should have been in that uh, in that slot. It would have been Clippers uh, Blazers, excuse me. So yeah, I, I mean otherwise, uh, you know the basketball was great. Uh, the injuries obviously hurt a little bit, um, and then the other thing um, which which kind of hurt 
the, the sort of narrative and the storyline was the the hack of whoever that was happening in, in the second round that right. uh, too many people were talking about. Because um, it really is isolated to like four or five guys in the league, DeAndre Jordan, Dwight Howard, Josh Smith occasionally. It just, it, it became, you know, everybody talks about the NBA playoffs, obviously, and, and guys like DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard, they're not going away, uh, and they're on good teams right now, so they're going to be a part of the playoff picture. Um, you know, if they make their free throws, it's, it's, not, a, uh, it's not a question, obviously, but uh, also, like, if we, you know, we, we, I've watched every single game, obviously, and every single up and down in each game and the way that hack a DJ affected each game. Or, and I think Greg Popovich would probably take it back in some instances. I think they were on their way to winning that series. Uh, if they didn't hack a DJ at one point, it's sometimes, especially on your home court kind of takes your home court advantage out of it. Cause the crowd gets silent. Uh, your team doesn't get into a flow. You have to go up against the set defense after you put the other team on a free throw line. Uh, you can't get those fast breaks, which the Spurs specialize at. Uh, so I think a little bit more research into how it actually affects the game and, and how it works how it works out will probably prevent coaches from doing it. I'm, basically, I'm trying to get to the point where we don't have it in the game, um, and, and you know, the, you know, people say it's you just give them one shot in the ball if they intentionally foul, but it's so hard to sort of um, subjectively say or objectively say, I should say if a guy's intentionally fouling or not. You know, Dwight Howard comes to set a pick, the defender will just go through him, quote-unquote, go through him to get an intentional foul or to get a foul call. Is it an intentional foul or not? You know, you can always find a way sort of around it. Um, so I'm not sure if there actually is a solution other than guys making their free throws and maybe a little bit more research into it because that was the, the biggest topic uh, for a long time. And then and when we got to the conference finals, it's unfortunate the Hawks couldn't perform up to their level. Uh, they weren't again, the same right? team yeah. that they were earlier in the year. And then uh, in the West, it's unfortunate that the Clippers or Spurs uh, weren't, th- weren't there to play uh, uh, the Warriors because I know it sounds nuts, but I think both those teams are better than uh, even though you know they lost to each other, basically. The Rockets beat the Clippers and the Clippers beat the Spurs. I think both those teams would have put up a better fight against the Warriors, but the Clippers just couldn't get there. Uh, and it would have been different. I mean, Tim Duncan got up at, on the podium after that game seven. You talked about the undercard immediately after losing such a huge game. And one of the first things that came out of his mouth was, you know, we were sort of on this wrong side of the bracket where we shouldn't have been playing uh, the Clippers. You know, they had that in the back of their mind. Uh, they're a team that kind of gets better as the playoffs go on. Right. The playoffs are a grind, just like the NHL playoffs are a grind. It's two months. And you, uh, you know, you try and improve as the, as the playoffs go on, and that's you know the Spurs have done in their five championships. So, uh, you know, they get by whoever they face in the first round if it's not the Clippers uh, or the Warriors. So we should have seen some better matchups in round two or three. And I think that's, uh, you know, when the the Board of Governors meet in Las Vegas on, uh, in, you know, up in this upcoming uh, month here in July, they're going to talk about that. And I think I think that's uh, even before the hack of DJ. That's the primary focus of getting these teams in the proper order and, uh, and going from there. But uh, I hear you with the five and seven, but I think, uh, I think first and foremost, we got to get the right teams in the proper order. And then we would have had some better uh, playoffs as, uh, as it goes on. But, you know, the league is, 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 is doing well. Zoom out. The league is definitely doing well, but uh, get better matchups. And I think it's doing even better. The NFL has that problem too, by the way. Uh, you know, with NFC South team last year, seven and nine hosting, uh, 
hosting a much better team in the first round of the playoffs. But another thing that I've kind of zoomed out a little bit and looked at is, and I'm sure this happens uh, a lot, but being in this year, I've really felt it is, it's almost had, a lot of these games have had like a March Madness feel to them uh, with some, I mean, some buzzer beaters and buzzer beaters by huge names. I mean, Derrick Rose had one. I think LeBron had one in the very next game of that series, if I'm recalling it right. Paul Pierce made one that counted and then made one that they took back. Um, I might even be forgetting one, but um, it seems like a lot of buzzer beaters for one playoffs and really some really exciting basketball down the stretch in a lot of these games. So um, I didn't mean to <clears throat> to say that I haven't been enjoying it because I have, but what did you have? No, no, no. Yeah. It's, it's, I always look at it with, with a critical eye too, because uh you, you know, like March Madness obviously is a is a special time of year, and and people focus in on that uh, for a month. And and the NBA playoffs, you know, people tune in and out depending on which team they're uh, interested in, and obviously tune in for the finals. But um, yeah, there's there's definitely uh, I think a goal of the NBA to to move towards you know being more popular. That's that's what the goal always is. Uh, so yeah, we we definitely saw some incredible. Uh, incredible shots at the end of games. I think it was, there was a there was a record-setting number at, at some point. Uh, I'm not sure if it still pers- persists here, but the buzzer beaters, yeah. Um, Braun, there was the whole Paul Pierce talking trash to the Raptors at the end of the regular season, and the Raptors like, couldn't even back it up once. Uh, you know, the Paul Pierce talked them to death, and they, and then killed them with the shots, like he. Had, he hit them against the Hawks. I think those are the ones you're, you're mentioning there. And then uh, he also did it to the Raptors, uh, even though I don't, I don't think they counted as uh, as buzzer beaters, but they uh, they were daggers. So uh, uh, great ball, no doubt. And um, and the, the ball is incredible. Uh, I, I don't I don't doubt that for a second. The game is is incredible. Just have to get it to uh, a point where people watch from April. 18th to, to June 15th, but it's a, it's a challenge for the NBA. You know, I think that it was right before the Dallas versus Miami finals uh, where I was thinking to myself, driving to watch game one or something, thinking to myself, I wonder when the last time the NBA had a finals where the winner was going to be a first-time champion. And I think I looked that night and... There wasn't many times, for sure. And I don't know if it's happened since then, maybe. Uh, but I don't think so. Uh, and and this the Mavs, year... probably, but... Well, who, when the Mavs... Probably the Mavericks in 2011, who, after... Who, who did they, uh, who did they oh, beat? Oh, you're, are you talking, you're talking about that one in particular? No, I was talking when the Mavs lost to Miami. No matter who won that series, it was going to be a first-time NBA champion. Yeah, and then the Mavs, they lost. Obviously, the Mavs lost, right. but then they won in 2011. So that was the last time. Okay, who did they play in 2011? I can't remember for some reason. Who did they beat? They beat them. Beat them again. They beat the Miami Heat. Oh, it's Miami. Okay, yeah. So Miami had had a championship. See what I mean? Like no matter right. who won in 2006, uh, it was going to be a first time champion. The point being, um, I love the idea of a team who hasn't been in the finals since 1970 something and the Warriors. Uh, playing a team who was in that one finals with LeBron the first time around, uh, now being in it again in a city like Cleveland, as my dog is very excited about Cleveland. He knows that here in Buffalo we root for Cleveland kind of because it feels like if you root against them, you're rooting against yourself. 
cities are so close and similar. <laughs> but uh, I really, I'm just really excited about as much as I love the dynasties of the NBA, and that was what makes the NBA partially great is these dynasties and the idea of you know uh, for the Pistons to get their championships, they need to go through the Celtics, and then for the Bulls to get it, they had to go through the Pistons. That's great. But I love this idea of either Cleveland is going to get one for the first time in that city and the narrative of LeBron uh, coming home and bringing him and all that, or this team that hasn't even been to a final since 1974 and, you know, uh, maybe had that one era like in the late 80s or 90s with Chris Mullen where there was some excitement but really has finally got their stud and the first-year coach and Steve Kerr. Actually, I think that was a thing. Maybe this year's the first time two first-year NBA coaches are in the finals. Maybe not, but... I'm just really fired up about that idea of it. What do you think about the classic, the NBA, it's always the Spurs or the Heat kind of thing versus this year, it being these two kind of new teams to the finals in a way? Yeah, the reason why it's sort of consistent with a set number of teams over the last 20 years is because generally, you know, superstars do a good job of leading their teams to get there because there is some stat the last 20 years we haven't had an NBA finals without – Duncan, Shaq, Wade, Kobe, or, and I don't know if there's some, but those those probably are the four names or something like that. Um, it, it's kind of crazy, and this is the uh, you know the first one um, without them, I believe. I mean, I, I guess yeah, because Duncan went to those. There is some crazy stat uh, where you know the superstars obviously get there, uh, but I think obviously we're, we're watching two superstars go at it now, um, but. We are moving towards a team-generated game where sometimes the team can beat the superstar. Uh, you know, I, I said Duncan was a part of those um, those, those teams that have, have gotten there over and over and over, but they beat the superstar last year, you know, without a superstar themselves, really, uh, because, you know, Duncan's in his later years. Aging, yeah. That was a team that, mm-hmm. that beat the superstar. Uh, so that the narrative of the superstar best player on the on the court always wins. Well, that's not true. I mean, LeBron was the best player on the court in 2014, and the Spurs still beat him. Um, so I think that's where we're sort of going towards a little bit. More team ball can possibly beat. Uh, the superstar, and, that, and that's what this series is. Even though Steph Curry obviously can do whatever he wants on the basketball floor, uh, you know Steve Kerr is preaches, and, and obviously they execute a, a team first style of basketball. Um, so I think you know to your point, we're going to see more of that. Although the superstars are, are going to get their teams there, um, you know the Hawks aren't going to break it up. They're going to still attempt to uh, to be the team. Uh, a Cavs team that's led by superstars, and uh, and I, I think we're sort of um, we're, we're moving slowly uh, because obviously talent always wins out, um, but it can be beaten, um, and I think we are the Spurs. You know, have set set the template uh, uh, as to how you beat a superstar, and you beat it with with five guys who are all on the same page and and uh, whizzing it around and and making it happen that way. Yeah, the Warriors almost remind me of a hockey team sometimes, the way they move the ball and move the up the court and the way they move it around. And um, Obviously, I mean, watching uh, Curry play is, is such, so fun. Uh, I think this will be a really, really fun NBA Finals to watch. If it goes really well for the Warriors and they win it, why? And the same question for for the Cavs. Uh, if the, regardless of who wins, if 
when they do, what will we most likely say was the reason why uh, they ended up being the champs? Well, with the Cavs, I think the supporting players um, are going to have to beat uh, are going to are going to have to contribute a ton. Uh, I think uh, Steve Kerr is going to let LeBron go at it. He showed that he was going to let James Harden score as many points as he wanted in the conference finals. Uh, the Warriors guarded him one on one, and that's what they're going to do with LeBron James. Uh, you know, Steve Kerr was a guy who was deferred to by Michael Jordan to win a championship, and he's not going to let LeBron do that. Uh, he, you know, it's going to look bad at times, like it did against the Rockets. Harden, you know, goes for forty-five. LeBron could do the same uh, if he wants. I, I think in this series, over and over and over again, but he's not going to allow open shots. Uh, Steve Kerr and, and his staff aren't going to allow open shots for Schumpert, J.R. Smith, Matthew Delvadova. Like Delvadova had a 17-point game. J.R. Smith had a 28-point game. It's, it's not going to happen, I, I don't think. But those guys are they're going to have to step up big time, and I don't think the shots are going to be quite as open uh, as they were. So uh, LeBron's going to score a ton, but it's all on the supporting cast. And uh, I'm really worried about you know the health of Kyrie Irving because I thought I mean, he's a guy that... He he doesn't need an open shot to score. I mean, he'll break you down in any way, uh, any time. But if he's not healthy, then uh, I'm, I'm worried about the Cavs' chances. If if Kerr sticks to his guns and plays LeBron one on one with uh, with a bunch of guys, even if Bron goes for 45, there's no need to uh, to panic. Uh, I don't think whatsoever because there's a number of guys that they can throw at uh, LeBron just like they did Harden after a couple games. And, I think that'll happen sooner uh, than it happened in the, in the conference finals. As for the Warriors, I mean, they just can't be sloppy. Uh, sometimes you're going to see in, in the Roracle games one and two, they're going to try and make the home run play. They're going to try and make the beautiful pass. Uh, and they're, they're almost too comfortable at home, and, and they turn it over. Um, and, and that's what happened against the Rockets. The Rockets almost took one uh, or two even in the first two games in, in – uh, Golden State, and after they didn't do that, then it was a bit of a heartbreaker for them, and they, they kind of fell apart. Uh, the Cavs can steal one if if, if the Warriors get sloppy, um, and then uh, you know then it's a different ball game. Um, but uh, the Warriors, I think, have you know basically all the advantages, um, you know, other than Bron Bron, uh, and you know they got to keep Cleveland off the glass. But uh, that being said, I mean, they've got it. They've got it. I believe the capabilities to win this series, as long as they, uh, you know, they they stay within themselves a little bit. No need to make the home run play, although they need to get out and, and move the ball. And even if that first transition opportunity isn't there, get a secondary transition opportunity. They just have to, you know, stay a little bit poised. And I don't think the bright lights will get to them whatsoever. They just uh, just got to keep the rock. And uh, when they do that, I mean, they're just so so good. You know, for years and years and years, I've always heard about the NBA is centered around big men. You know, that's why Michael Jordan was the third pick once upon a time, right? Because there was a couple of big men ahead of him, and the NBA was all about big men. And then in this series, you look at Cleveland, who has a first overall pick in, in Kyrie uh, Irving uh, at point guard, and um, the other team, the uh, the Warriors, with, with Curry at point guard, who um, obviously should have been a higher pick than he was, probably a few point guards picked ahead of him. <clears throat> I think one team even picked two point guards ahead of him. Just got hurt. But um, what about the way the league is maybe uh, shifting to being about having, uh, is it 
maybe it's the better question because I'm only theorizing, but is it shifting to a place where maybe point guard is just as important as having the big man uh, as I've always been conditioned to know over the years as uh, uh, watching the game? Well, a big man's responsibilities have changed. Still important, but, uh, you know, there's not, I mean, there's just such a handful uh, on the block scores these days. R- literally, like, a few. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of crazy. Like, DeMarcus Cousins leads the way. Um, probably got you know, the best post-talent. And, uh, you know, that team hasn't achieved a lot of success. But, uh, you know, I think they can playing through him. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the league is moving towards uh, spacing. Um, not centering around a guy in the middle. The guy in the middle has has to be able to roll to the bucket uh, and dunk, you know, sort of like your Dwight Howard. Uh, and uh, teams are generally going four out, four on the perimeter, and one one center who, who has the capability of stepping out and hitting like a 16, 17-footer to, to allow some space, or he's in the pick and roll to, to throw it down, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, the magic days of, you know, Stan Van Gundy, uh, with Dwight in the middle and, you know, Hito or Richard Lewis playing the floor where they, they just spread you out because uh, there's not really a back-to-the-basket guy. And even Dwight Howard, his game changed in this postseason. He was just a roll guy generally or a drop-off guy. He, he was rarely going into the post. He gave him a few post touches. But, uh, yeah, the game is definitely changing to uh, to spread it out. Three points are more valuable than two points type idea. Um, and uh, even even the guys who, who score on the block – or closer to the block are, are more are more jump shooters like Lamarcus Aldridge or, or Al Horford or obviously your Dirks um, and and they make it happen from out there rather than rather than in the block. But you know the center position there's still still you know rim protection and and altering shots and the threat of altering shots like a DeAndre Jordan is uh, is quite important. But yeah, your DJ that's a great example of the, of the type of bigs that uh, we're going to now. Although it's it's so fun to watch Marcus Cousins um, do it on the block, and he's yeah, he's just sort of a rare breed in the NBA right now. Uh, you know, I, I always talked about on, on our show the way he threw around Tim Duncan this year was bonkers. Like that guy is is a special, special talent, and people have been talking about him for years. You hear the inside the NBA guys for years, uh, like Shaq, who's a minority owner of the Sacramento Kings, saying this guy has got to be you know the best center in the league and he's definitely moving towards that uh and be, you know became an all nba uh, center this year um and uh there's just and i say all nba centers and i, and I think you know marcus soul is there he is a block scorer but uh you know they don't you know go to him a ton down there he's actually leads the league in, in elbow touches you know he makes it happen from there so yeah centers are are coming out uh because defenses are getting so much smarter um, they're just trying to create more and more space down there, and and by that it's get the center out and get more three point shooters, and that's that's what we're seeing. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely more important to be able to be uh, more versatile, and and I guess in a way it's sort of going uh, the European route where it's guys have to be able to do a little bit of everything, and uh, you only have one guy in your center who who really can't shoot, and you know some teams have five guys who can can shoot from the three-point line just like uh, European leagues in general one more thing and then I'll get a prediction and let you go uh, LeBron and legacy uh, how much does winning or losing this series uh, affect his legacy I mean we're at a point where 
He's got multiple championships. He's he's been in what well, this is a sixth final, five in a row. I mean, in the end, really, I mean we were talking about one of the all time great players in the NBA regardless. But does winning one in Cleveland and being from Akron and all that, does that put a, a brighter shine on his legacy overall? Or or what do you think about LeBron James's legacy, which I know is important to him, uh, or I I feel like it's important to him. Uh, how this series may affect it one way or another. Um, well, LeBron at the beginning of the year, and he said this, did not expect to be here. Uh, and he didn't go to home to Cleveland to lose. Um, he, he knows that, you know, one championship in Cleveland is basically like valued at like three in Miami. Um, Easy, yeah. Because, you know, he's sort of doing it at home and doing it with less uh, sort of superstar power around him. Um, that being said, he didn't expect to be here and, uh, I don't expect him to be holding up to Larry O'Brien at the end of, uh, these next couple of weeks. And, uh, I don't think it really affects his legacy because he knows that, you know, at 30 years of age, um, he's not done. Um, there's, uh, there's some time to, uh, to get another one in Cleveland. And, um, I, you know, it's more about the legacy thing is more about when we're all said and done. Uh, does he have, you know, three, does he have four? Um, and then, and, and then, you know, like guys, guys win championships in their thirties. So there's, there's, there's no rush to, um, to, to sort of pigeonhole him and, and put him as, you know, the 88th best player in the game. He's got to win one in Cleveland to, to be, you know, up there in the same breath, uh, as, as some of those guys. So yeah, he's got to win one. He's got to win two, but, uh, I'm not, I wouldn't bet on it happening this year. And, uh, and LeBron, like he knew, he knew he needs, he needs help. He needs guys uh, experience around him. He needs Kyrie Irving's health. Uh, and, and, you know, Kevin Love would have, would have helped, although obviously they're playing a lot better with, with the way things are going. Um, so I'm not too concerned with LeBron's legacy. That guy is going to figure it out. And when he, uh, you know, he, he made that happen with Lee Jenkins in that SI story about coming home. Um, he knew he, he needs to win, win in Cleveland to, to make that legacy shine. And, uh, one day it'll happen, but, uh, but you I got the Warriors in. now. You got the Warriors then, huh? Yeah, I got the Warriors. I mean, I haven't made a prediction, Steve, until, uh, until this podcast actually, cause we're <laughs> going to do it on our show, but, uh, uh, it's, you do it on your show tonight. To, what's, yeah, we're going to do it on our show tonight, uh, Wednesday night. Um, it's, it's just it's hard to bet against LeBron and, and that's that's the funny thing about predictions. It's just like, well, you can't bet against that guy. Well, uh, they're not playing nice they're not playing pretty basketball and, and that's why it has to it's on the shoulders of the supporting cast because LeBron is just trying to bully guys and uh, you know, if you're gonna double then the other guys are gonna have to hit shots and and I, I just don't see them coming through uh against enough against this incredible incredible defense they haven't seen a defense like this and uh they haven't seen an offense like this so uh, i've got the warriors yet to be determined whether it's six or seven whether lebron is is good enough for uh you know two or three wins i'll uh i'll, I'll finalize that today because that's that's just where i am right now i think it's the warriors are are in the driver's seat um but uh you know this this is new for them as well that's definitely a part of it you know, LeBron is the one with the, the championship experience on both sides. There, there isn't much uh, otherwise. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, LeBron. LeBron. You know, it's, it's again. It's, I hate the idea of just saying, "Oh, LeBron's getting enough for two or three 
wins on his own and the other guys win one. But, man, it is very, very difficult to bet against him. Well, you can find Tass on Twitter. He's at T-A-S-M-E-L-A-S. And the Stars airs every day on the NBA Network. Uh, what are you, 6-ish, 5.36, something like that? Give me the right time. Yeah, 6.37 during the playoffs. We're uh, going a little later, getting up a little bit closer to game time. Awesome. You can find that there. And you do You do uh, also have a podcast version of it on iTunes as well, correct, of the show? Yeah, we do a, an audio-only show uh, on Fridays, um, but our TV shows are, are on there as well. But the audio show is a little bit more uh, loosey-goosey and, and an hour long, so it's uh, – it's a good time. It's, uh, yeah, the starter's feet tonight is, uh, is the only ball show you need. Yeah, and make sure you go back to Wednesdays. This Wednesday is, what is it, the 3rd, 4th? Uh, June 3rd, Wednesday, Third. you're going to want to hear that one to find exactly uh, what you decide on as far as a prediction. It sounds like Warriors 6 or 7-ish It's going to decide for sure, and the other guys, I'm sure, will have opinions as well. And uh, like I said, uh, NBA Network, um, uh, and iTunes and at T-A-S-M-E-L-A-S. Is there a Twitter for the show? There is not. There's we're, not. we're our own people, Steve. <laughs> All right, bud. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I know it's busy around the finals. I appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to uh, talking to you soon. Enjoy the game. No problem, man. Can't, can't wait for the finals. Appreciate it, Steve. All right. All right, I want to thank our guests, Steve Russian and Taz Mellis, for being on the podcast today. Our last podcast, which was about a month ago now, uh, featured Trey Wingo and Michael Woods, one of our favorites for sure. Probably our best Michael or our best Trey Wingo interview, too, of the three. Really good. You can hear that, all of our old episodes, on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet us at sports underscore casters. You can reach Don at Don Lake Sports, which is going to come and play in a second here. <laughs> and uh, you can find our podcast anywhere where podcasts are played, Stitcher, Downcast. And if it's somewhere you want it played and it's not playing there, let us know. We'll do our best to accommodate you. Yeah, I'm excited. A few episodes back, I don't remember how it came to it. Maybe I just couldn't think of a good one last thing. Or maybe it was about something else, about how come tweet me how I'm wrong. Yeah. I, I ended up getting some responses, it sounds like, for what people want me to talk about. For one Yeah, we thing. threw it out there and said, what do you want Don to talk about? Don can never – he's always sitting here before we roll tape, bashing his head on my wall. What am always, I going to talk about? How much can I say about Jack Eichel or the Sabres? Well, and that's sort of where the guy's going here. Okay, good. So a listener named Mike, who lists himself as from South Carolina, a place I didn't know we had listeners. Good. Wrote in, and he said – Don. Uh-huh. I'm nervous. Well, it says it says Steve and Don. Okay. I really enjoy the podcast. Always look forward to the interviews and hearing your opinions at the end of the show on one last thing. Knowing that Don's Twitter handle is at Don Like Sports, <laughs> I'm always interested to see which of the many sports Don will riff on on any given episode. Oh, no. He didn't like keep track, did he? Okay, good. Unfortunately, most of the time, Don seems to focus on hockey right, and football. Absolutely, yep. So as an idea for one last thing, I suggest the following topics. <laughs> Archery, <laughs> badminton, <laughs> basketball, beach volleyball, 
boxing, canoe Salem, canoe sprint, cycling, diving, equestrian, fencing, gymnastics, handball, judo, rowing, sailing, shooting, swimming, table tennis, taekwondo, tennis, trampoline, triathlon, volleyball, water polo, weightlifting, or wrestling. Or Oh, I got it. Or. Seeing as you like sports, I'm sure you will be comfortable discussing any of the sports above. Thank you. Love the show. Mike <laughs> from South Carolina. All right. I'm going to go with badminton on this one. Uh, I don't really have – first of all, it's awesome to watch it when like guys that know what they're doing play badminton. It looks like they're just killing the thing at each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, going back to my high school glory Which badminton days, is the one with the birdie? The birdie. Right? The yeah. shuttlecock. Yep. Mm-hmm. Going back to my, my high school glory days in gym class, me and my buddy Ben, who's actually I'm going to meet tonight after we record this, were the gym class champions. And uh, we tore it up, the doubles in badminton. Uh, I don't remember how many weeks it went on, but we were the, the champions of badminton. Uh, and at the end of it all, we got a, a certificate that I believe said to Dan Ross or Dan Russ or something. <laughs> they somehow screwed my name up on my, my uh, badminton championship certificate which i no longer own unless my mom has it that'd be that'd be a cool thing if my mom hung on to the newlywed yeah the newlywed so that's my riff on badminton uh i was one time better than my gym class in it (laughs) see now i think mike was trying to tease you a little bit here but look at that yeah he lists sports second i gave him no prep you had no idea what that was right no prep list you give him a list of sports and don likes sports he looks badminton boom two minute riff on it (laughs) that's right yeah, the other ones might have to be more of like a word association game or something. Maybe next week you pick out fencing or judo. Yeah, I was think I was it was between badminton and judo. So. Judo is where Ronda Rousey got her start, correct? Is I she believe, judo? Oh yeah, because she was in the Olympics. Yeah, she won the bronze medal, I believe, in the Olympics. In it, judo. We're probably we might be screwing that up. That'll have people yelling too, like it was like it wasn't Brazilian. Judo. I think it was judo or though. something. I hope it was judo. <laughs> being very arrogant about it. All right, thank you, Don, and thank you, Mike. Yeah, I Who like knew it. we were big in South Carolina? He knows more sports than maybe I like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, one last thing for me. Uh, what are your thoughts, Don, on the customer service complaint? Oh, boy. Do you do it? It depends. Do you avoid it? Uh, you're in the same boat as me, and we have mothers that have and still do work in the in service, service industry. Area. Yep, yep. So I am never one to walk in to a restaurant or to a place and like dehumanize somebody. I don't expect anyone to serve me right. or anything like I mean, I've never once complained about a waitress. And it, no matter how bad it is, they get 15% from me and I leave. And if it's better, I usually tip more than 15%. Sure. But worst case scenario, it's 15% and I just give her the benefit of the doubt and leave politely. And, and rarely is it their fault anyway. And right. I, I never want to take something out that the cook did or that just the restaurant or whatever. But yeah, so I'm never. I will file complaints to like corporations, yeah. but not generally singling one person out. Yesterday, I, I was in a bit of a mood, Don. Okay. And uh, one of my hobbies is grilling. I like to grill. Okay. Yeah. I do. I really enjoy it. Um, I want to get better at it. Uh, I like to learn recipes. Yeah. And I, I have fun. If I go to a party, very often I will. Take over the grill. Do the grilling because some people don't like to do it. I believe you've done that on more than one occasion in my house. Yeah, I, I enjoy grilling. I'm always up for it. Uh, and because of that, in the summer, I very often uh, will go with the first lady 
Grocery shopping. Okay. So yesterday we planned when she would get home from work and she gets home around 4 o'clock to go grocery shopping. Before we left, she said something I hate. Can we do the bottles today? <laughs> I was like, ah, yeah. fuck, all right. So I'm like, yeah, all right. So I go downstairs and apparently she has not said that in a while. Okay. Because our basement was just full of bottles. Yeah. So we go to Tops, which is the probably second biggest grocery store chain in the Western New York area. Yeah, I mean like Wegmans. Wegmans is like being number one. Hallowed, like people hear right. about Wegmans. Now we normally here, don't right. go to Tops. We went this week because the first lady said they had double coupons or something. <laughs> okay. So Tops it was, and we will change it up. Sure. Every sixth time we'll go to Tops and. Tops will occasionally, not that we, they need our commercial, but we'll, they'll do cool things like when you get their flyers. Like if you buy, like you talk about grilling, if you buy the giant pack. Of, yeah, you get all that shit. You get all this yeah. other stuff for free. Right? Yeah. yeah. We've done that. That's been yeah. a reason we've gone before. Sure. Right. Uh, this time we went because of the coupon doublers. And they have <laughs> Monopoly games. They do, right. Which yep. is fun. So the first thing we do, obviously, is the bottles, which is in housed in sort of a separate area. Right. Yep. Sort of next to the grocery store. We went to the location in our town of North Ottawa in New York. Yep. On Meadow Drive. When I tell you this bottle return room was the most disgusting area of a grocery store I've ever seen in my life, there is no hyperbole there. Really? This room smelled like someone's foot died in it. <laughs> Half of the machines were full, and not course, just full yeah. where it said you can't put them in anymore, but full where bottles were literally pouring out of the things. <laughs> okay, there was garbage on top of the machines, next to wow. the machines. There was glass. All the glass bottles machines were full, so there was just abandoned glass bottles everywhere. Wow. There was a, a big, a huge gray recycle bin where people put their their. Usually the the boxes that like the cans or the bottles come in, overflowing. One garbage can in there, overflowing with a pile of garbage. It, it was disgusting, and I'm just putting the cans in, grossed out. Yeah, and I was doing cans. She was doing bottles, and we those are the only two machines you that could works. use. Yeah, oh, there was one other can machine. So then two other people come in. Who apparently also have not done the bottles in a while. (laughs) So that was like four of us crammed in this room, tripping over each other. None of the machines work. It was disgusting. We get done with that. It's like 13 bucks in bottles, and it was not worth it. No, right. So I'm gross. I'm like, I need to go to the bathroom and wash my hands. The bathroom, disgusting. (laughs) Now, I go into a lot of public bathrooms. Yeah. Okay. When yeah. you have the condition I do, you cannot turn your nose up at public restrooms and say, I'm only playing home games. That was one of the things that McCready was fighting for was allowing Crohn's, what I don't know what you'd call it, sufferers. Patients. Patients, uh, yeah, to use, I don't know if it's employee bathrooms or just making sure they have a nice clean bathroom that's accessible to them. Well, I didn't have to do number two. Okay. That's good. I barely had to do number one. You just wanted to clean up. I just need to clean up. She felt sticky. Gross. Garbage everywhere. <laughs> stinks. Piss all over the toilet. Disgusting. So I wash my hands. 
leave, go to the deli, which is usually the first thing you do at a grocery store, roughly. Get your ticket. No ticket service. Oh, no. One lady working. People lined up. I'm in line for 20 minutes to get half a pound of freaking ham. Wow. So I'm stewing the whole time, and I just want to I just want to bitch to somebody, anybody. I didn't see an employee <laughs> but for a stock boy and a guy working in the meat department the whole time I'm in this place. Wow. This so, isn't a small It's a huge top. This is a big they call them Tops Internationals. So we get to the front and they have the the self check. Yeah, right. And I mean I don't do that. Okay. They can do it. So one thing they give you in there is a free checker outer. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not going to do it. Maybe if I have like one thing That's when I'll do it. So yeah. I can get the hell out of there, but yeah. not a whole cart of weekly groceries. Right. So I walk over to a lady who appears to be in charge. I mean, she's got like a uh Argyle sweater on, you know. Sure. You got a walkie-talkie. She's not And I'm like, do you out. run the place? Right. And she's like, well, I'm in charge of the frontier. Oh, okay. And I'm like, and she's like, why? <laughs> you know, so I go through the whole thing, and she says, well, you know, I'm not in charge of the place. I- I'm just, you know. So I'm like, all right, great. So we leave, and we had ordered subs from a local treasure called Payne's. Okay. I ordered shortly before we checked out. They said 20 minutes, one pizza sub. One half a steak and cheese sub said 20 minutes. We got there in time. I went in and paid. Okay. Left after 40 minutes. Took 40 minutes for them to make the sub and the other sub. And I'm standing there watching two clown 17 year old kid employees fighting over who's going to make this pizza sub. I don't want to do it. No, you do it. And then they burned the first one. So they never. I'm just standing there. Started the sub. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. So I don't know that I don't know pains. Is it really a local? I mean, people who live here think like it's it? great. Yeah, it's nothing great. Okay, I might never go there again. And What's not the one in Orchard Park by it? my dad's house? That people Nino's. Nino's. People that is that great. Too. Yeah, this is not Nino's. Okay. Um, so not a good. So I just had had it, and when I got home, I said, "You know what? I'm sending some emails. <laughs> I need to vent. I that lady at Tops didn't do it for me. Um." And the people at Payne's were assholes, and I'm emailing them both. And while I'm at it, I'm emailing the WWE Network, complaining to them about how they keep giving the network free to new subscribers and making assholes like me, who've been here since day one and had to make a six-month commitment at the beginning, getting nothing for free, uh, just keep paying every month. I hate that about cell phone companies. And I said to them, why should I keep paying you? Why don't I just cancel? Not pay for June. Sign up, in your Sign up under Tammy's right. email address. Get the month of June for free. And then if you're not going to give July over for free, then I'll start paying. And if you do give it for free, I'll cancel, make another email, and do it again. <laughs> right. And you know, with Netflix, for example, they said, come to us. We'll give you one month free. Then you pay. Yep. And they said that to everyone. I got my one month free. Now I pay. So I don't care if they give Don or Jeff or Bill or anyone else a month free because they gave it to me. But with WWE, not only did they not give me a month free, they said if you want to pay the cheap price, you got to pay for six months ahead of time. <laughs> Have you heard any responses yet from your emails? Tops. Really? That was quick. Got a voicemail from Tops. Should I play it? I don't know. Is that allowed? I don't know. Who's going to yell at us? Yeah, right. This is what we got from 
Tops. They said it's your phone. I guess it would have to be allowed. This could be a disaster. We'll see. Oh, no. See how it goes. Oh, you mean the recording. Hello, Mr. Bennett. This is Karen Farido, and I'm the customer service manager at Tops 240. I would like to speak to you about um, your complaint that you put in. Uh, first of all, I want to apologize profusely for how disgusting it was. Um, but I would like to talk to you about it. I'd also like to get your address so we could send you a little something. And I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I will be here until 5 o'clock if you want to give me a call. If not, I'll be back in on Thursday, um, 8 to 5. I look forward to talking to you. Thank you. Bye. Now, don't you doubt that I called right back after <laughs> hearing that voicemail. <laughs> now, I had no idea what she said her name was. Turns out Karen? it was Carol. Carol. Uh, and I got on the horn with her, and she said she watched the tape, and she is very sorry. Of the? Of the room. Oh, okay. They looked on the tape. Wow. And said, yeah, you are not exaggerating. Good for her. It was disgusting. And they're sending me 20 bucks. Yes. There you go. Good for her. So did I do the right thing? Or am I an asshole who was just trying to get 20 bucks free? Now, I will tell you, it's honesty. I just wanted to bitch. Right. I, I didn't expect I didn't go to sleep thinking they better call back tomorrow. No, there are people that I know will go into a restaurant, complain because they know they're going to get things comped or like a hotel room or they want free stuff for next time. And that doesn't sound like that. Uh, and like I said, you didn't throw anyone under the bus necessarily. I mean, maybe the guy whose job it was to clean that. But I mean, well, he's not she doing actually his job, said so. that her excuse was that the regular maintenance guy was out. Wow. And they did not have a system in place wow. to respond to those issues in that case. So she thanked me because as of today, they now have a policy in place for how to handle cleaning the bottle room when the maintenance man is not there. My thought when you talked about that, how you hadn't been there in a long time, and then this is what happened, is like, do you think that was just that day? Like, do you think it, or was that built up? Like, did they get that many bottles in one day that I cut that? It wasn't Monday. So, okay. I mean, it could have been, been all day weekend. people returning their yeah. parties and that kind of thing. But, okay. I mean. Because the funny thing to me about that is, like, you said you don't like doing it to begin with. The no. one day you pick and yeah. out of the past, whatever, three months maybe, and 90 dude, days. It, I hope I expressed it properly. <laughs> it was disgusting. I mean, if I I can just imagine, like, the boss of Tops watching that film today, they must have wanted to vomit because yeah. they probably care about the success of tops sure. and the appearance of their grocery store oh, yeah, i'm sure they get bonuses and, and stuff. to yeah. think that that happened at their place they must have been just i mean it was disgusting but you we're your- back i got 20 bucks to spend on groceries get some grilling foods yep i'm gonna buy meat with that 20 bucks or groceries i wouldn't normally buy like Fresh salmon or clams. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm going to do, but we're back. Summer break is over. Drums, please. Just a bit of a break from the norm. 
Just a little something to break the monotony of all that hardcore dance that has gotten to be a little bit out of control. It's cool to dance, but what about a groove that soothes and moves romance? Give me a soft, subtle mix, and if it ain't broke, then don't try to fix it. And think of the summers of the past, adjust the bass and let the alpine blast. Pop in my CD and let me run around and put your car on cruise and lay back, cause it's the summertime.